They say I'm disturbed. From city to city, an incredible hysterical panic spread. I think we're getting into a weird area here. Will you tell these fools I'm not crazy? This hysteria. You can't handle the truth. Rain is gone. This is Hysteria 51. The truth is out there. It's alive. But you won't find it here. They're coming for you. Look, there comes one of them now. Welcome in, Hysteria Nation, to the podcast that doesn't have coronavirus yet. Ah, yet. This is Hysteria 51, coming to you from the lower fourth dimension, otherwise known as Chicago. I'm Brent Hand. John is hiding in a bunker in a nondescript location somewhere up here in Chicagoland with strep throat. I'm sure he was extremely happy when he went and found out it was strep and not uh, the COVID-19 curse. So I sent Seabot to be with him uh, because if anyone needs to get sick, it should probably be John and not me because, well, we all know where the talent's at. So anyway, I am flying semi-solo this week because i do have an awesome guest uh but first i just want to talk about what's going on in the world it is so crazy people being quarantined as we're speaking right now next week we're going to find out if we might even be under a mandatory quarantine so i hope you're all safe you're not freaking out uh if you did stockpile tons of toilet paper Share it with your friends and family because no one needs to die with a dirty butt. And uh, if you are sick with something that's given you explosive diarrhea, it's probably not COVID-19. So I hope you're okay. But seriously, I know there's so many memes and jokes going around in the world and everyone's having fun with it. And I think that's a good way to deal with things, to cope with things, to to make it through situations. But don't forget that there are a lot of people that have immune systems that aren't able to fight this older people people that have been sick people that have had cancers or other terrible diseases so keep them in your mind and away from you if at all possible i know it's been crazy in chicago they canceled the saint patrick's day parade and the dying of the river and all the normal stuff that we do which is probably for good because it always seems like it's things like that that just cause a huge spread uh, so for better or worse, we're not going to have to deal with that because of at least parades. So we got that going for us. But like I said, hope you're all safe and healthy and have enough food and toilet paper for the coming weeks. And this week I have an awesome guest that is not afraid to tell it like it is out in the world. And she is a fantastic researcher. Cheryl Costa is my guest this week. And she's a native and a resident of upstate New York who saw her first UFO at age 12. So started pretty young. And she's a military veteran and she's a retired information security professional from the aerospace industry. So hopefully you already have resume jealousy because that's pretty badass. And she's been a speaker at the International UFO Congress and at the MUFON Symposium. And Cheryl writes a UFO column, New York Skies for Syracuse, New York Times dot com. And besides being a journalist, she's also a published playwright. She holds a Bachelor of Arts degree from the State University of New York at Empire State College in Entertainment Writing and her and her partner have written the definitive book on research from 2000 to 2015 of what we're actually seeing in our skies. What's going on? Are there trends? Are there things we're missing? Where are the hot spots? She has scoured the world of information and put it all at our fingertips. And it's a huge, 
huge honor to have her on the show and to give me her background and just tell me what's going on in the world of ufology that we don't see every day. Because even on this show, we talk a lot about the sensationalism and the classic cases that some of you know of, some of you don't know of, the weird things. This is stuff that is happening right now, stuff that's happening in the last decade and things that she is stockpiling. And and so we can look at it and say, Maybe something really did happen here. Maybe we're missing a a spot to go investigate. And she's also looking into doing a grassroots UFO research movement through television. So we're going to talk about all of that. That's coming up next on Hysteria 51. Cheryl, thank you so much for joining me here on Hysteria 51. You are a name that everyone's been talking about. Thanks for spending your Saturday afternoon with me here. Oh, I'm, I've been looking forward to this. <laughs> your history is in ufology. You've spoken at the UFO Congress, MUFON. You do writings. Give everyone your elevator pitch. What's your backstory? Backstory. Uh saw my first UFO with my mother and father when I was about 12 years old, 1965-ish. And uh, a silver ball parked out there in a western, clear blue western sky about 4.30 in the afternoon, sitting there like a rock. Oh, in the afternoon, too. Nice. Yeah, it was late afternoon in the fall, about three weeks before school started. It was late August. And uh, what happened was um, mom po- had my father pull the car over. And, of course, my brother and sisters were toddlers. They weren't conscious. I got, I had seven and 11 years on them but um uh mom pointed it out and told me it could be a weather balloon nasa was only five years old five or six years old at that point says could be something nasa's doing you know and then she dropped the big one says you know it might be people from another world that got a different conversation going (laughs) and you don't uh, say mom (laughs) right right and then so we got my dad got we were on literally the corn was higher than the car at this point it was a really good season so dad got back on the dirt road and we got down to the bottom of the hill uh coming from a relative's uh farm and we turned left to head back to uh corning new york where i grew up and uh the short story on that was i crawled up in that big big window that big old chevy impala Mm -hmm. and i sat there who are you guys you know who are you why are you here you know and when that thing decided to go it was like you see the Starship movies, gone, and it changes you. Thing like that changes you. Uh, my next sighting, and this is I won't go any further, but uh, the next sighting was um, six years later. I, I I was an airman in uh, Vietnam, Cameron Bay, Vietnam, about central part of the country. Mm-hmm. It's Christmas Eve, about eleven thirty at night, and uh, 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 one of my buddies and I were walking down to the. Um, a base chapel to go to midnight mass for something to do. I, I really wasn't a practicing Catholic after I turned about 17, but mm-hmm. we, for, for tradition, let's go down there for midnight mass, you right. know, and we're walking along and the, the base isn't that really light polluted at that point. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking into the Western sky. I'm looking up under just up around Taurus and we see this streak going across the sky. We both said, yeah, jet, you know, yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. we're in Vietnam for God's sake, you know, and all of a sudden it stopped like a stop. And my friend looked at me and he said, wait a minute, man, if that thing stopped, we don't have helicopters that are jet propelled mm-hmm. and jets don't stop on a dime. 
at that in those in that era. And I said, okay, and I'll tell you something: is that's what I think it is. It's going to start dancing around like a fairy. Darn if it didn't, and then phew, gone. You know, neither one of us had our minds on midnight mass. <laughs> yeah. the cavil, right? Right. And I I never told anybody about that until about oh maybe fifteen years ago. I was with some Native American friends. We were doing a, we had a camping thing, run night around the fire, and we were telling weird stories, uh, some paranormal, other things. And somebody raised the point about you know the the the, the ancient gods that the Native Americans you know had the star people as they put it. Yeah. And um, that was the first time I ever shared that story. You know. Now that when I started writing a newspaper, Kyle, I was very well read on UFOs all for the most of the bulk of my life. Mm-hmm. Couldn't join groups like MUFON or anything like that because I had a very high security clearance. Yeah. I had ten years in the military, thirty-two years with Lockheed Martin, and I was under a clearance most of that. Yeah, so you, you don't want your name well, I mean you probably would have lost your clearance if they saw you throwing your name in those those rings at that time. Um, yeah, actually that was a very sensitive, a MUFON was uh, a very sensitive thing with them. And, uh, uh, I, heck my mother in 1969 got the mimeograph letter from those guys in Ohio said, Hey, we're going to start this group since the air force isn't doing this stuff anymore. You know, <laughs> right. I've always admired the t-shirt doing the air force's job since 1969, you know? <laughs> right. So so the deal was I did my career, but I was always well-read. Uh, there was a time back around 1990, uh, um, I had a recuperation from a surgery. And a friend of mine let me take uh, – his dad was on chemotherapy, and uh, I needed a place to stay because I went on this very long business trip of many months that I knew I would be going on. Mm-hmm. And I put my essentially my apartment in storage. I didn't keep the apartment. I got rid of it because I was hoping to rent so into a condo. You pack your life into a boxes and exactly. And I, I yeah. come back from this business trip. Uh, I had to have surgery while I was out of state. <laughs> and when I came back, I didn't have a home to go right. to. You know, so this friend of mine says, "Hey, look, I'm I'm, I'm staying with my dad. Uh, you know, he's getting chemotherapy. Well, here's the keys to my place. Feed the cat. You know, whatever. You know, mm-hmm. uh, stay there as long as you like." I said, "It might be a couple of months until my 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 apartment becomes available. Don't worry about it." I I'm not saying you just feed the cat. And I yeah. said, fine, you know, <laughs> so arm, um, right? well, I get into his house and he's got this one bedroom made into like a little den or a study. And this guy's got first editions of about every major UFO book that had been published up to that point. I mean, he had, he had a whole, you know, section of his one row with all the Stanton Friedman stuff up until that. Oh, and they were all yeah. first edition hardbacks, you know, so he didn't have cable in the house. So I, I basically went to college. I, I treated it like an opportunity to be away at college. Yeah, and I, I had a lot of re- that rabbit hole, right? Oh, God, I read everything. OK, but again, I couldn't do much with it. And then I got retired out in t- of Lockheed in 2011, involuntarily. Unvi- un- but they came down the halls to all the project managers and said, uh, you're being retired on Thursday. You're being wow. retired on Friday. And I was one of those Friday people. Wow. Thank you so much, right? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I got a retirement. I'm pension. Many people don't get a pension yeah, anymore. True. But, true. but um, uh, so what happened was uh, I, I went back to finish a 40-year-old bachelor's degree. My original degree was in filmmaking, mm-hmm. okay, 
And uh, I had an opportunity to finish a, a media ba- a bachelor's degree with Empire State College uh, here in New York State, uh, State University of New York. And the goofy thing about it was um, I had also picked up a job over at a newspaper in the technical department since I have a techni- I had a, an electronics background, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had just put the edition to bed. This was November 5th, 2012. I remember it well. Because what happened was um, we had just started that 700-ton Swiss press. And all we had to do was sit back and wait 90 minutes for the run to be done. I made the plates every night. I made about 400 plates every night. It's done with a big uh, – imagine cookie sheets with no edges on it and mm-hmm. they're, they're photo photo sensitive. And you run them through, and this is like this big laser printer that yeah. does it. And it goes through a, a, a developer kind of soup kind of thing. And then uh, it comes out, and it gets bent and, and, and formed for, for the, to go on the press. And I made about 400 of them every night. So all I had to do was sit back and wait. Mm-hmm. And on Sunday editions on Saturday night, you know, you're waiting about two and a half hours, three hours afterwards. But then we can go home, even though I was technically supposed to stay till three. We all left at one thirty, two o'clock, whatever. Yeah. Okay. The deal was I, I had just started the press and I was looking at CNN.com. And there was this little sidebar story that said UFOs have been declining since the 1980s. Maybe they were always just an urban legend. <laughs> Like, where's that research coming from? Yeah, it was only about a 150 word article. And I looked at this, this reads like misinformation. Yeah. You know, and I mean, my first impression was like, these aren't the droids you want, kid. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Nothing to see here. Keep moving. And and yeah, keep moving. Yeah. For the first time in my life, I Googled place to report UFOs and I went to the National UFO Reporting Center. First time in my life I've ever been there and went there. And I saw that they had numbers. I saw they had tons of, you know, people, current sightings, things like this. And I dug down a couple of pages, found some urine totals kind of thing, mm-hmm. dropped them, just pulled them up and dropped them into a spreadsheet. And I had a little bar chart and I ran the bar chart and the thing went up like a rocket. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it went, it went up exponentially. So you proved this wrong in cursory glance, same as, as. Yeah. Just in not 20 true. minutes, I proved yeah. it wrong with, with excuse the expression numbers and, uh, <laughs> And I'm sitting there looking at the thing, and the first remark I could, I, I whispered to myself. I actually, I don't even think I whispered. I just said it out. It's what I won't use the expletive here. Uh, what memo didn't the UFOs get? <laughs> so in the following nights, I went back out to National UFO Reporting Center on a, every evening after the press got going, and I started reading some of these people's accounts. You know, and I had kind of bought in as cooks, nuts, and crackpots, right? But most of the things I read, you know, you ran across the occasional, oh, this is a report he got out of whatever it was and said he is Gorgon and the conqueror of the universe. You know, you get a couple of them now and then. But the vast majority of them were people saying, I never believed in this stuff until my wife and I were watching. We were walking the dog. We were having a smoke. They can't wrap their head around and they want to tell someone. And they got to get it off their chest. Yes, they got to get it off their chest. And I found out that that was it. Some of them were as short as a couple of sentences. Some of these things went on uh, were short essays. So I was finishing up a, a, a media degree and I started taking some of those stories. I drop them into, into MS word and like that. And I would punch them up because you don't know who they are. Right. And I can't prove why, you know, who, what, when, where, why. Mm-hmm. So I started pitching a couple of editors. I had about five or six of these things written up and um, in cases where 
I didn't know the, who it was, you know, uh, you know, they might start out. I was laying on the hood of my, my, my car with my wife. So my story said, Bob and Susie were on the hood of Bob's car, you know, or, you know, yeah. you know his six or three brome, whatever, you know, and I would punch it up a little bit. And then, uh, and I basically shared the story, but I would rewrite it in journalism terms because the way some of these people wrote was terrible. Right. Exactly. And I, so I, I, I told the story, I read their account and I told the story. This is about storytelling to some degree. Mm-hmm. So what ended up happening, uh, in the, in the, the bottom line was I went out and started pitching some editors in the paper. People at my own paper said, uh, and <laughs> their editorial, senior editor, the vice president was interested, but his editorial board said, Oh yeah, well, if we do something like that, then we have to do paranormal. We have to do ghosts. We have to do that. And and he came back to me. He says like, they're going to dilute what you're doing. And I said, yeah, let's not. So I went to about 12 other editors. I got, asked to leave. I got thrown out of the office. I had been, I was escorted to the door by security, you know, all that fun stuff. Finally, I, I made a call to, um, at that time we had about 12 papers in upstate New York. We've had a lot of people go under, including my paper, Such but uh, the time. Yeah, absolutely. But the deal on this is, um, I went over to a weekly and turned out their new editor in chief used to be a senior copy editor who got retired out of the newspaper I was working for. Oh, okay. Okay. One of those deals. Yeah. And I went to him and he said, Hey, I hear you've been out pitching. And I said, Yeah. <laughs> it's going around the wire. Yeah. It was getting around the neighborhood. But he said, Let me, uh, let's have a cup of tea. So he had a thing there on his desk, we poured me some tea. We sat there before I could even show him my five slides. He said, I want to talk about this first. He says, first thing, I saw mine when I was about 15. <laughs> so that goes a little bit different than what you've been experiencing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he he talked about that for a little bit. He And the two of us both were about the same age. So we had read the books like Frank Edwards and early Stanton Friedman and all these things. And we had a very nice conversation about it. So it was very clear I knew my stuff. And it was very clear he was reading the same stuff I had read. Right. So he said, okay, tell you what. We'll try you out for a month. I said, okay. And he, of course, he had this tone of, you know, and, uh, you know, I'll take it off. It was like that line from the Princess Bride. Uh, I'll most likely kill you in yeah. the morning, Wesley. Like, well, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. <laughs> I'll most likely kill you in the morning. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it felt like. And about a month later, he calls me up and he says, I, sent, I gave him five articles. And uh, about a month later, he calls me up. Come on over. We got to talk. I figured, well, that's it. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So I get over there and they're tearing up the parking lot. You know, I said, oh, God, I'm late for the meeting. I come walking in five, ten minutes late. And he's talking to this boardroom table of uh, other journalists. And I, I, I walk in. I, I'm sorry I'm late. He stops, looks over at me, points at me and looks back at his other journalists. Says, There's our rock star. I said, what are you talking about? Yeah, that took a turn, right? Yeah. Yeah. He says, you're pulling more page views than all the columnists combined. Because people are interested. That was our pitch. And he he knew it was a no-brainer, but, you know, we had to feel it out. And um, so, again, on an online edition, that's a big deal. Page views are, you know, that. Uh, in a cont- okay, go back to journalism 101. Controversy sells newspapers. My original editor, when I was a high school cub photographer for a newspaper in Corning, New York, told me controversy sells newspapers. Okay, pictures of scandals sell more newspapers. There's a re- absolutely. There's a reason that the crap TV that's out there is so popular because people love that. Everybody loves a good a, a good a good scandal. Yeah. yeah so absolutely. so the bottom line was. About six months later, the digital editor calls me up. His name is Ty. And Ty calls me up and he says, uh, uh, Cheryl, you're pulling 
a national audience, not just a local audience. You're pulling a national audience. I said, really? He says, yeah, we're starting to get some international. Next thing I know, um, and I'm not even give, sharing it out on social media at mm-hmm. that point. And then he comes to me and he says, um, it cost me about the end of the year. And he says, uh, we're, we're changing some management over here, but you're safe. And I said, okay. Um, uh, so a couple of people are leaving. He said, yeah, yeah, the, comp- the senior editor's leaving, but don't worry, you are safe. I said, why am I so safe? He says, you're pulling a national audience and you've got international readership all over Europe. Yeah. And I said, oh, my God. You know, so he grabbed me and took me aside later and about that same time and said, I want you on you on Facebook. And I said, no, I'm not. He said, I want you to get on Facebook and I want you to start sharing this, the articles on social media. So I had to learn all those hoops, you know, and I, hey, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm an old lady. I'm sorry. It was a, it was a steep learning curve for me to get the nuances of well, that's Facebook. What you've done though, is you've, you've taken these, uh, these stats and these stories and really blast them in the 21st century, which was obviously what was missing. Yeah. That's what yeah. was needed, and you tapped into that before anyone else realized it is what was needed. Well, the funny thing was I started adding up, like, the sightings and counties and things. Just just locally. I had to have something to write about. Right. You know, I mean, there were there were people who said she won't get more than about 15 articles, and she'll run out of things to talk about. <laughs> so I started looking up counties and start, you know, adding up those uh, the cities in those counties. In those days, you looked at MUFON or you looked at Newford. They only have city information. MUFON sort of had county information, but it was dependent on the person filling the thing out. If they, and if they record all that. Yeah, uh, most, uh, you know, three and a half percent on MUFON never even fill out the name of the city. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. So uh, county information, they didn't have a clue. So uh, what happened was around 2000, at this point, that, let's see, my first article was in July of 2013. By early 2015, now I've gone to a couple of conferences, IUFOC, those kinds of things. And uh, the bottom line was uh, I had a professor grab me in uh, February 2015. He says, could you generate county information down in the Hudson Valley? There's these structures down there that nobody knows where they came from. And I'm wondering if UFOs congregate there. You know, they're talking about all those like uh, um, prehistoric kind of um, structures down there, Mm -hmm. stone, stone places. I said, why? That's tough. But let me see what I can do. So Linda and I started trying to do it. And it took us months to do New York state. It took us like four months to do New York state because we didn't know what we were doing. Right. right. But you're pulling from a lot of different places that don't, they're incomplete data trying to put it all together. Yeah. The problem was for us was, and this is the cute part about Linda and I were both former government contractors. I worked for Lockheed. She was a beltway bandit as well. She worked for a company that supplied research, uh, high caliber research librarians to government libraries. Okay. And she, she was at that time, uh, previously, before we moved uh, to New York State, uh, she was the head librarian of the EPA for uh, 15 years. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I mean, and, and people think librarians, they, they're thinking yeah. somebody stamps books. No, we're, we're talking sophisticated research type of thing here, yeah, you know? Yeah, absolutely, researchers. So what happened was uh, a short version of this is, um, being former contractors, we the, the the rule in federal contracting is do as little work as possible. Yeah. Okay. So what we did is once we figured out what not to do, we were able to write process procedures for ourselves. So we had a little spiral notebook going. We had a note, you know, if you start to digest National UFO Reporting Center data, do this first, do this second, do this third, do this fourth, that type of thing as you're cleaning up the data. 
okay, and organizing right. it. Right. Same thing with MUFON. We had to write a complete, completely different process procedure for cleaning up MUFON data. It's just the, the two databases weren't compatible. We made them compatible and merged them. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it wasn't like um, UFON gave us their database. We had done National UFO Reporting Center, and we decided Linda was the brains behind this. She's okay. Here we are. We've done New York State. We know how to do it. We started sharing our numbers with New York State researchers and said, "Wait a minute. We didn't know there was a cluster there. We didn't know there was a cluster here. See, in New York State, they knew Hudson Valley. They knew the Lake Erie effect. You know. But when we generated the stuff based on counties suddenly we didn't know there was a lake ontario effect oh we didn't know there was a finger lakes effect you know Mm -hmm. and so you know and so linda late october 2015 linda and i are sitting in our favorite pub having a couple of pints and we said look at all the cool stuff we discovered." i'm already happy with you that's that's (laughs) that's my kind of place to go and brainstorm (laughs) and and i gotta sit there with an imperial pint you know And, and we're sitting there talking and and look at all the fancy stuff we found People are pulling their hair out. New York State researchers pulling their hair out. What if we did the whole country? And we mm-hmm. sat there and stared at each other for 15, 20 minutes, uh, nobody saying anything. And we said, oh, it'll take us a year. And ultimately, it took us 18 months to generate that book, UFO mm-hmm. Sightings Desk Reference, 2001 to 2015. But Linda being the, sci- the, the real scientist, me, I've got a top hat and a cane. I've got an arts and entertainment degree. <laughs> She's got the real science, deg- uh, science uh, degrees and credentials. Okay, right. So she said, let's take this thing. Uh, let's go where the UFO community has never gone before. Let's everybody still writing books about the fifties, sixties and seventies. It, it's forties even, you know, if you looked at UFO research, she did a bibliography and she says, all the books that are out there is like an FM radio station for Goldies. You know, the best UFO crashes yeah. from the forties, fifties, sixties and seventies, you know? And, and for a lot of reasons, that's because people now that are into it, that's all they've heard because it's all that gets regurgitated. For better or worse, it is a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yes. And um, heck, uh, I'll give you an example. Um, I was at um, last year, last uh, a year ago, February. Or actually, I shouldn't say a year ago. Last February, I was at MegaCon. I presented there. But uh, the dinner event, we had George Knapp up on the stage interviewing the producer for Project Blue Book. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm, I'm losing the guy's name. Oh, Larry. Larry. Yep. yep. Okay, so he's up there interviewing, and George at one point got to him. He says, so what What do you think of, like, the modern stuff? And he said, you know something? That, like, when the, oh, it, it was the um, December 16th stuff. Mm-hmm. Rattled, rattled the producers of the program and his his team of writers. My God, you mean this stuff is still going on, they said? You know? <laughs> So nope, it stopped. Just kidding. Yeah, it, 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 it's all back there in the forties and fifties, yeah. guys. Yeah. So I went. I only had two copies of the book with me to show people, um, uh, because we usually don't cart them around. I'm an old lady. I'm not going to carry around right. a case of two and a half pound books. Yeah. And so I ran uh, ran back up to my room, left the banquet, went up to my room real quick. Took me ten minutes. Got a copy of the book, brought it down. And I had access to the backstage area. When he came off the stage, I I looked at him and I said, I am one of two national experts on national on UFO statistics. Here's a book for 21st century information, 2001 to 2015. And he took it in his hand. He looked at it. He starts to flip through it and starts graphs, numbers and everything. He says, 
oh my God, this is bigger than anything. I said, yeah, it is. So when we went out to get pictures with the guy, he made me autograph it and all this stuff, gave me his card, you know? So, um, uh, it, it, it rattled some people. Right. It, but doesn't that blow your mind though, that, that they are producing a show that is talking about the history really of, of, of the research from back then. And then to think to themselves, but that, that is the past and it's not happening now. Like, where's that, where's that fall off? Like, the, I guess maybe I'm just a different kind of person. No, no, no. I agree with you. Um, uh, when our book first hit the street, uh, it was in March of 2017. The New York Times did a huge article on us on April 24th, 2017. If your listeners want to find it, g- Google NYT for New York Times UFO Costa, C-O-S-T-A, and it will pull the article up. Well, that article no more and hit the street on the electronic version on 24, and on April 25th, it was in the print edition. Eight o'clock in the morning on the 25th, I've got the, the the Times of London calling me up, <laughs> talking to me. And I had 18 phone calls like that the rest of the day. And this went on for four weeks. Wow. That just goes to show you people are hungry for this. And those were media people. Yeah. Okay. And that's what's even more impressive is it's, it's, um, you know, the mainstream media that is, is wanting to, to digest this. And that's something that for a long time, it was just a chuckle. And well, like you said, the back page of stuff and eh, this really doesn't going on because there was no one doing what you stepped up and did. Well, what the New York Times thing, um, Ralph Blumenthal. Uh, wrote it. He was Pulitzer Prize. And by the way, he was one of the three people who wrote that December 16th article seven, eight months later. He he came up and spent a day with me and Linda. He sat in our a library in our old house, our 100-year-old house. Mm-hmm. He made a very, you'll like this. Um, he said, I want to see where you guys actually wrote the book. I said, fine. So we took him upstairs in a little messy room. I said, this is our part. We took the master bedroom in that house and made it into a parlor. So one half of the room had all of our sewing equipment and all this kind of stuff. And the other half of the room, there was a love seat and a couple of wing back chairs. And that's where we watched television, you know, in our underwear or whatever, you know. (laughs) And uh, uh, the the deal was he looked at the thing. He says, so where where are the computers? I said, there's one computer right there on the other side of that sewing machine. And the other computer sitting over here next to the the cutting board. And he made a comment that the. Our computers that we did all this work on, which we actually did it in our sewing room for all intents and purposes. The next day, Vogue.com did an article about UFOs, and the picture had a pretty model looking off into the sky, you know. And so Linda and I are credited with the first and only article about UFOs in Vogue. (laughs) (laughs) Not exactly where you expect to, to be reading about that. But that's the beauty of this book and the research we did is because and the New York Times made it this way. When he went to his editor, he, he, he literally told me this. He said, I know why we don't report UFOs. And they hadn't since the 1940s. Right. And he threw our book on the editor's desk. And, it's, you know, it's a two and a half pound, eight and a half by 11 book. Yeah. Two, you know, he throws it on the desk. And he says, uh, well, the the polite way to say some ladies in upstate New York. Well, it was actually says some old ladies in upstate New York did the science. <laughs> and the editors start, feel, start going through it. The next thing you know, the editorial board is looking at this thing. And, of course, because I've got every state in there broken down to county, mm-hmm. 
it's like a tell, you know, when people used to get a phone book, they'd look up to see, see their name in yeah, the phone book. Like, oh, where am I at? Yeah, exactly. So they're, they're, they're going, they're tearing through the book, looking up their home County from where they grew up back in, you know, Ohio or but Virginia that's, or that's, someplace. That's excellent. And then they're, they're probably shocked. They're like, oh my gosh, it is here. You yeah. know, and, and all of this. Wow. Yeah. So that's how the article came to be. I can't even wrap my head around the work you did, though. Like, it's just astronomical. <laughs> well, towards the Pun end intended. of getting getting it together, um, we worked on for four months on the National UFO Reporting Center material. What we did was Linda and I cleaned up our procedures that October night between that October night and December 31st, we cleaned up our procedures. We had them in a three ring binder. We knew do this, do this, do this. We had them in document protectors. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we, we had a process for doing it and we decided we were going to do, and Linda said, everybody else has done everything 20, 20th century. Let's break new ground and do 21st century. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so a new year's day morning, we got online and downloaded everything from all the, from 2015 all the way back to 2001 yeah. uh, for the 21st century. Um, you wouldn't believe the bandwidth availability on New Year's Day morning. Uh, but, yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. Everybody knows why. But uh, we hit it all down in about two hours. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, so we worked on it, cleaned it up. We're actually actually starting to glean numbers out of it just for, for fun. Mm -hmm. And once we got the cleanup done. Uh, it got out around April or May of 2016, and we had a situation where we needed to get the MUFON data. Well, I was getting the runaround. Okay. Mm -hmm. Oh, they wanted to know my project plan. What are you really I've, doing? I have ran into the circles of trying to get information from them that they've released to other people. Why? Why? Tell three more people oh, why they yeah. they want they, they wanted to know more and and every time I answered a little bit they wanted to know more and we said no you, that you're going to steal what we're doing okay and, and so uh, Linda said uh, you're not good at this you're an arts and entertainment degree she's an executive okay she gets on the phone with a particular guy gets him on the phone and 20 minutes later I got a CSV file in my email I monkeyed around with them for three months I need a Linda. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's something to be saying for somebody who's trained to be a boss. Yep. And yeah. she got on, did executive speak, and boom, we had the data. Right. And now, since the book came out, now when I want to do updates, I, I uh, Jan Hardison just has me email and say, I need this. And I tell him what fields I want. And bam, I have it within a couple of days. It's not yeah. a big deal. Yeah. But then it was difficult. And of course, they didn't know who we were. Right. And that's the biggest issue is, is they are scared. What are you going to do with this? Why do you want it? What are you going to do? And you got to understand on their part, probably, is a lot of people take it to bash them or use it as their own, like they said. And, oh, uh, oh, yeah. Jan, I understand. Jan called him just before the book was released. Oh, I heard you You did a book. Oh, my God. You're going to put people's information out there. It's confidential information. I don't have access to that. Yeah. I said, all I've got is what, when, and where. Yeah. That's all we want. We don't. We can't do who. Mm -hmm. And my editors and I had agreed early. I'd already been doing a column, what, two and a half years. And my editors and I agreed on the idea that, can't tell you why. If we could tell you why and could confirm it, I'd be getting a Nobel Prize. Right, exactly. That's not what you're here for. You're you're doing the, the archivist work, which is something that exactly. needs to be done across the board. And the problem is we've seen here on our end, and I'm sure you have, is a lot of people are very guarded with what they do, and they don't mm -hmm. want to, you. You can't play with my toy, 
And, yeah, well, you know, I've seen a ton of it. They would say, well, I've been in UFOs for 30 years and done the same kind of... Re-. Did you publish? <laughs> right. Don't yeah. tell them, don't complain about me and throw stones at me. If you haven't published, you you didn't do it first. Right. And besides that, they were all pretty much hung out. I, I started getting phone calls from all these uh, researchers and, well, did you get my sighting from, you know, uh, July 1977? I said, we're doing only set for 21st century information. Right. And of course that brought up the other question and started getting on some podcasts and things. Why didn't you go back 40 years? Well, much before two, th- uh, 1996, the numbers were in the low hundreds per year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Under 500 between both databases, under 500 a year going all the way back to 60, uh, 1960. I, I researched that. Okay. So the time between 1960 literally mm-hmm. to 2000 there was barely uh i don't remember the number but it was a very tiny okay if you added it up with what i've got presently mm-hmm. it was less than 10 percent that's 60 years the last 18 years have been astronomical what what is your do you have a, a reasoning why uh, are more people paying attention or is it just easier to 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 report it yeah, well, that's that was actually the key. Um, we noticed we we tracked it. Uh, I did some analysis on it, and what we figured out was uh, the jump. We started seeing a little bit of a gradual going up in the late '80s. Well, that we had BBSs, we had CompuServe, we had America Online. Okay, and by getting up into the '90s, uh, people got emails, and they're emailing them to these places. Before, much before that, if you there was a somebody, you'd see somebody in the news once in a while. Oh, there's Joe Blow out in Ohio who's collecting UFOs. You can call his voice, his his answering machine, or you can drop yeah. him a fax or send him a clipping. I remember going on Prodigy when I was young, yeah, and yeah. going to the BBS sites, and that mm-hmm. was my first real exposure. It's crazy. That's exactly it. Uh, there, there was some. Um, uh, on America Online, of course, that's back in the days where you're paying you're, you're paying for long distance to get a portal in. You know, yeah, Mom, can I? When that was, you know, I was a kid then. Mom, can I please? Can I please use the modem? <laughs> you know, yeah, that that's when it got shaky. Well, what happened is, as people, we actually got industry curve for uh, when people are coming up off, starting to go off dial up, and uh, broadband became started becoming available in in major major metropolitan areas right. and it's about 1995 and that's when you see the numbers start ramping we up how, we see how it reshapes so much of the world but these are the the issues where or not the issues but these are the situations where it really made a difference and those are things you don't even think about is well, how, how small it's made the world in good ways yeah yeah it did in a good way and uh so uh, new fork uh national ufo reporting center they they were collecting the data since 74 okay but you know what's interesting if you look at the numbers like we start you know we start with this stuff um we combined both databases but we made sure we put a field in that said new fork or mufon yeah yeah so we've always had the integrity of being able to tell you where it came from Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay and the first thing we erased, by the way, when we downloaded data was the the case information of what, what was actually being said. Now, if I saw something interesting, of course, I kept it to write articles about it. Right, but right. Um, but but the bottom line was uh, none of that's in our book. The only thing we did have is numbers. And most of it was compiled numbers from the raw data from both. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And the, the goofy part was 
you look at the initial chart in there and you see uh, New Fork pulling about uh, two, uh, pulling some number per year. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then down here in the dirt on the chart was MUFON. And then about 19, about 2007, 2008 timeframe, it shoots up and starts tracking loosely with National UFO Reporting Center. Why was that? And what we found out, I got talking to a couple of people and uh, John Ventry mm -hmm. made this point to me. And then I confirmed it out through other people was that um, back in the day, there was a show on uh, Discovery where they explored different things, different weeks. Okay. And they did one particular episode about UFOs. And this is like 2007, 2008, uh, 2000, it was 2008, he said. And um, uh, MUFON was highlighted as the organization. And so suddenly, all these people now who have broadband knew where they could report their, to go. Yeah. yeah, and they could report their, they could report their old sighting. So we started getting a lot of archival information, but uh, it, it, that's how it happened. And so both numbers shot up. Now, both databases are largely, are more or less different. There's less than one, less than 1% crossover. That's I know impressive. That, that's actually really impressive. Well, I had Jan Hardison try to tell me there were identical databases and that is not the case. <laughs> um, the other point Nothing that to I see over here, just come to us, you know, that's all you need. Kind of yeah. Thing. Well, I think the other argument is that they do the real case study research. See, and I had a lot of people yell at me, um, particularly when I'm going to call the old guard, uh, yelled that's at me and said, term. well, you're not doing, you're not vetting every one of them. I'm going to vet in 2015. Uh, I'm going to vet 121,000 sightings over the last 15 years. I don't have a time machine well, to do that's that. That's not what you're doing. You're just coming forward and saying, this is what's been reported. Ah, uh, but they want, they want to vet them. So they got proof. Well, I want okay. a solid gold shitter, but it's just not in the cards. You know? Yeah. Like, come on. So, and it went back to what our original objective was. Let's look at the scale of this thing. Let's document the scale of the thing. I can't, vet this stuff to the degree all these other people want it vetted to, but we can show you how big the level of sighting reports are. Okay. Yeah. And that's what we did. So basically it worked out to, depending upon the state, generally it was about a 60, 40, 70, 30 ratio. National UFO reporting center had the, the 60s and 70s mm -hmm. uh, in one case, the eighties. Um, and then uh, MUFON was the thirties, forties, and in one case, the 20. So uh, that was kind of the ratio. So, and the funny thing is national UFO reporting center was, would, if you just use that, a lot of people these days put charts up. If they just use national UFO reporting center, it's actually skewed to a certain end of the country versus MUFON, which seems to balance it out. So yeah. by putting both these databases together, you, you get a really you get much a better, better picture. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, really do. I saw that you said something like 5% of the world sightings come from New York where you live. That's about right. Yeah, that we're number, just, we're number five or six. It, the top, top three states are California, Florida, Texas. Now, people say, well, it's about population. Well, California is a weird case, so don't go there, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. um, but Florida has half the uh, half the population of Texas, but they have more sightings. They yeah. got more coastline. Okay, yeah, I was just gonna say there's a lot of water. You know, there's yeah, a lot of water, stuff going but it's around. not it's not water from the context of USOs. Yeah, it is. It, yeah. Water seems to be the driver because of where population is. Okay, exactly. And so people need jerk on population. Well, what Linda and I discovered was it's not about purely population. Population is a driver. 
I mean, if you look, open up our book and look at the Great Lakes states, everything around the Great Lakes has got sightings in the many thousands. Mm-hmm. Okay, four, three, four, five thousand per with the state. Move two states away, and the numbers fall into the low hundreds. Okay, I didn't realize that when we were putting the book together. I was sitting in a as, on a, somebody's podcast with a book laid open in my lap during a commercial break, and I happened to glance that and made that observation. That is a really distinct observation, too. That's a, that's fascinating. And then and that opened up another level of inquiry. So I I did it. Of course, New York State is my beat. In fact, my book that's coming out that's got all two hundred and twenty uh, two hundred and thirty six articles that I wrote over the seven years. Uh-huh. It's coming out literally in a uh, momentarily, like in the next week or two. We'll have links to it in in our show notes. Absolutely. It, it, the book it will be on Amazon. We're we published through Amazon. Uh, we've done other things through Amazon, but not UFO related. And uh, basically, it'll be on Amazon. And the name of the book is the UFO Beat. Okay, because that was my that was my newspaper beat, the UFO Beat. You know. Mm-hmm. So uh, the bottom line on this whole thing was, so I did an article for New York State. I tracked all the numbers since I had all the data. I tracked the numbers up the the um, Hudson Valley states, uh, Hudson Valley counties, and then I tracked it up down the St. Lawrence Seaway, mm-hmm. and St. the Hudson Valley represented thirty one percent. 20 and 18, 19% for the St. Lawrence Seaway. I didn't find anything remarkable in the Finger Lakes, specifically around a specific Finger Lakes. But if you took the whole group of the lake, the counties, those counties as a whole, it added another 18 or 19%. So, bottom line, we had 70% of the sightings in New York State around those major water areas. Okay. Now people say, now people start, they start knee jerking and say, well, it's got to be about USOs. Yeah. You hear those stories of, uh, there's native American stories that say, uh, uh, that, that talk about a bright object flew out of the lake and mm-hmm. flew up in the mm-hmm. sky. And that was the God of such and such, you know, that kind of thing. And, but the bottom line is remember your, your history, your, your American history, people settled around water. So that's where the major populations are. Exactly. You got people they're they're looking up. Period. Okay, so so the bottom line was we discovered it was population, temperate weather, leisure time, and later hours of darkness. You just defined Florida. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Water and temperate and leisure time, absolutely. Well, see, what Linda discovered that because when she was putting the, actually physically putting the book together, she looked over her terminal at me, and I was writing the narrative for the front part of the book. And she said, did you notice there's a latitude difference with the monthly chart? Now, my New York State investigator said, oh, that monthly chart, that's stupid. You know, we did it January through December. and They thought that was stupid. Okay. Again, we were looking at this stuff very differently. We're doing a a statistical analysis. We're not doing, we're not doing case studies. I tell people, look, you guys are looking at examining a single ant and trying to figure out if it's an ant. We're studying the ant hill. Right. Your case study is the study. You know, you're looking at the whole thing and, and, and extrapolating data as a whole instead of each individual one. You know, I reached out at several conferences, particularly at the MUFON conference and said, look, guys, I found stuff here you don't know about. I've got patterns here you do not know about. I said, if you guys want to research some of these patterns uh, and i give an example. There's, there's hotspots. I've identified a, over 125 hotspots that nobody, you know, you, you see the TV programs out here. 
you know uh-huh. oh yeah they they go to roswell they go to kecksburg they go they go to um pine bush down here on the hudson you know yeah, they go yeah. to the same old places regurgitate the same places. aurora yep, yep, yep. all that stuff right and the tv producer i'm working with i said let me show you something and we've identified about 125 places that you've never heard of that has nothing going on most of the time and then one day, and I'm saying one day back 5, 10, 15 years ago, 18 years ago, something amazing happened on that day. I'll give you an example. April 16, 2008, Indiana averages maybe three sighting reports a month. Mm-hmm. Well, that particular day, there was a spike of 60 for the country. So we did a report to see, well, what states were they in? And they were all onesie, twosie, onesie, twosies. And then Indiana had like 25 of those 60. Which is a staggering number when you're putting out three a month. Yeah. So then we do another report. What counties were they in? Okay. And it pulls it out. And we could see it was down Kokomo County. So, you know, most of it was, again, all the other counties was onesie, twosies, things like this. Mm-hmm. Now, on a state level, that onesie, twosies, other counties probably had something to do with the major event as well. Mm-hmm. But onesie, twosies, and then Kokomo County had 12 of those 25 sightings. So we do run another report and break it down, down right down to the city. Okay. We do pivot tables, that type of thing. And boom, onesie, twosies, onesie, twosies, cities in, the, in that county. But 12 of those sightings were, boom, in a little town called Howard. Okay, I've identified events like this across the entire country. In fact, I had a printout done down at Staples last week. We're getting ready to show up, people. I did one year. Okay, it's got, imagine a spreadsheet. It's got all the states from A to Z or A to W all the way across the top of the spreadsheet. Okay, it's about 24 inches wide. Mm -hmm. We have to do it on one of those big uh, roll printers, you know. Uh And then we go down 365 days down the side. Okay. Yep. And we basically look at every single state on a day to day basis based on a year. And then we have we use a conditional response in, in Excel to to highlight the things that are over a certain size number. Mm-hmm. The people down at Staples went bananas when they saw that what I was printing out. You mean every one of those boxes is something that n- normally doesn't happen? I said, Yeah. You know <laughs> and that's Blow what, the minds that's of, what the, of regular that's people, what the, yeah. That's the basis of a television program we've been pitching for over a year. That's awesome. And we finally got a bite by a major network. So I, I don't have details. Can't tell you who it is. I'm under an NDA. No, but, we don't uh, know how that goes. But we're, we're going to do an investigation show where we go to, we go to the non, you know, the, my pitch originally to the producer, what if I could take you to a little podunk that's got lots of cows, few mobile homes, uh, a general store at the crossroads, a general store that sells Hagen dots and a volunteer fire department. What if I could take you there? We rent the, we rent the, uh, the VFW hall or the, uh, or the fire, fire department thing. We give them a presentation like I do with the cons and then explain to them what happened five or six or 10 years and ago. Say, hey, raise your hand and, and who saw this? You know, come oh, please in. come up and tell us. Exactly. And because we've got cameras there, people, it's like an audition. It's an audition. And they'll, people will say, yeah, I was there. I saw that. Yeah, and yeah, they'll, yeah. they'll come up and tell us their stories. And what do we have? Grassroots disclosure. Mom, pa, America telling us yeah. what they saw. Okay. And, and, and it's going to take a show like that to get Congress's attention. I think so. I, that's a 
that's a really realistic approach to it uh, of what it's going to take because obviously the disclosure that everyone thinks is happening and stuff isn't working. And I agree. I agree. Well, what we've done and to wrap this, so I can't tell you much more than that, but uh, let me say it this way. We have a MUFON investigator who couldn't become a member of MUFON or couldn't become a MUFON investigator until he retired from a major crimes uh, unit at a major police department. Okay. And guess what? This guy, this guy, if you talk to him, see him on camera, it's going to come across like Columbo. <laughs> okay. Awesome. He does. He does. Yeah. And the thing is, he knows this stuff. And uh, like me, he was well read, knew about the stuff, but couldn't be one of these guys, mm. move on or investigator because he worked in a police department. The real world frowns upon yes uh, people <laughs> living their own lives the way they want to. Absolutely. You can't have this little bit of quirky strangeness yep. so if if this goes down the way we think it's going to be is i've got i've assembled a, a ufo posse and these are people that whose names you would recognize in a heartbeat yep. here within and it's nobody fancy it's not like the ancient alien guys it's uh, other people that you've seen in in the major ufo community mm -hmm. there's a lot of there's a lot of names you would recognize as part of our backup team but the the idea is is that i will show them where where, where we where we need to go and we will go there and that. we and they're going to do the, a real serious investigation with some really talented people. And, of course, me and some of the other posse people are going to be interviewing people uh, after we do one of our presentations. So we're just going to get the entire community involved and show them what happened here a long time ago. And uh, that's that's the pitch. I love that. I love the thought of uh, shaking things up at a grassroots level and getting getting people involved in in data that's out there for everyone that you've just taken and extrapolated the things and saw these patterns that other people haven't done. That's a fantastic way to look at it. Goofy thing is we've had a lot of other networks try to reach out to us and, and doing the same old crap. You know what I'm saying? And uh, and I haven't – I've been under an NDA now for – and a and an option for about two years now. So we're just being patient. Uh, they took the uh, – the producers took took the approach of the long haul. So did we. And we wanted a certain kind of show. Originally, we were going to call it UFO Roadshow. We were just going to go yeah, around to yeah. all these places and make a splash net town. And um, so it's coming. It's coming. And I suspect if uh, if everything gets uh, signed and the uh, I's dotted and the T's crossed, uh, I suspect it might. we might see it uh summer or fall of next year if it all goes down but right now there's serious talks going they've auditioned our 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 major crimes investigator twice now they love them and uh so we'll see where this goes this is going to be really really fun if we do it because it's very exciting. again it's going to have the case it's going to have the case study view of it but it's also then that was the major pitch that we made to the the networks was this is going to be data driven guys that's awesome. Hola, David. Me amo Brent. Bonjour, uh, Brent. Je m'appelle David. You didn't do Spanish. I thought if we were going to do this together, we'd do the same language. Oh, sorry. <laughs> that's uh, that's on brand for us. I, that, I I just thought romance languages yeah. was the key. Everything I say is romantic, and that is thanks to Rosetta Stone. You guys, we, we've been touting these things forever. We love Rosetta Stone, and we actually are users. David, you've really been using it even for longer than I. What's your experience been like? Oh, it's been great. The thing is, uh, you really get to learn how to speak and think in that language with it. So 
it's very high on pronunciation too. So <laughs> you can, you know, learn how to speak. And you know, our show is all about proper pronunciation. <laughs> In that pronunciation. Yeah, that's right. But it's, it, they design it for long-term retention, you know, it, and yeah. uh, if you don't get the pronunciation right, you, you say it until you do. And then, you know, that, that just seeps into your head. Well, and that's why, you know, this has been trusted by experts for 30 years and, there's over 25 different languages that you can learn and people, millions and millions of users use it because like you said, it does seep in and you're using it with, you know, you get speech recognition and mm-hmm. it, it hears you. You get to use like the built-in true accent features that gives you this pronunciation, which is super convenient and you can do it at your own time. And I don't know if you can know this, but I'm all about value and you get a one-time purchase, 25 languages. If I learned all 25 languages, I'd be so confused. Or really cool. <laughs> I have to go in and out. But you'd be real marketable. But literally, though, this is something that we use, and we have both of us have given the seal of approval because we wanted to do this long term, and uh, it's something that uh, it works, you know. And we don't yeah. we don't do long term um, stuff like this, and this is this is the one that we've chosen, and we love it. So, all you guys got to do don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now, as we've told you a thousand times, and it's always now, right now. Get now. started. For Larry, limited time, his Air 51 listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. How much? 50%. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your unnatural life. Wow. Redeem, redeem, redeem. How do they do it? Rashate, you're oh. 50% off. <laughs> Rashate. <laughs> redeem it. 50% off rosettastone.com slash today. Do it today. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when Brent and I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, we thought, man, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. Brent is trying to plan right now and says that it works like a charm from Chicago to Nashville as he makes his big old move. Mint Mobile is working for him. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. And you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. So ditch the overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash hysteria. That's mintmobile, M-I-N-T-M-O-B-I-L-E dot com slash hysteria, H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash hysteria. $45 upfront payment required. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Let's switch gears real quick and sure. talk about another thing that you talk about, consciousness. Oh, consciousness. Okay, first thing, I've been a, a kind of a wicked priestess for 40 years. 
Uh, I went on a couple of year walkabout and ended up living in a Buddhist monastery so for seven your, years. Your normal resume stuff, nothing fancy. <laughs> yeah, nothing fancy. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a wicked priestess. I'm a, I call myself a mystic priestess now because I've got so many amalgamated other traditions integrated into my viewpoint. Um, I started out as Wicca, uh, old Gardnerian Wicca, as they call it, and then uh, Alexandrian Wicca. And then uh, many years later, I, I got I got to work with, I don't want to say extensively studied, but mentored by everything from ceremonial magicians to voodoo guys, you know, you name it. I, I've had a very, very, very smorgasbord, um, rich amount of teachers over here. Some mm-hmm. of them, I had them for one night. Some of them, I had them for months. Okay. But that is where it went. Uh, so I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, a witch priestess. Uh, I call it a mystic priestess these days. I'm ordained, I'm an re- ordained in, in Wicca tradition. I'm, I'm a, a, a priestess of Isis. I do a, a nouveau Egyptian tradition. Um, and I spent seven years in a Tibetan Orthodox Buddhist monastery. And I was an ordained Buddhist nun. In fact, I went to work every day at Lockheed Martin, uh, in a buzz cut and dressed like the Dalai Lama. Okay, doing my wow, sec- yeah. doing my corporate sec- my corporate security job, you know. And um, but the thing is, we learned a great deal about meditation and consciousness. And uh, the the thing I go nine rounds with the field investigators with is, oh no, we got to have the hardware, you know. And I said, you know. Guys, it's consciousness. Uh, we're, we got people on this planet who are already talking to ET. The CE5 people, the Close Encounters 5 people, they're already doing it. Okay. And ET, if you read the material from the Edgar Mitchell Foundation, after they interviewed what, 4,400 people, and uh, it comes back down to me and Dr. Hernandez and I had a long talk in, uh, at the Ozark Convention back in, uh, back in April. And basically, we came to the same, we had a private conversation going on out in the lobby we were sitting here having coffee and we must have acquired about 50 about somewhere between 15 and 30 people kind of started pulling chairs up and listening to the two of us have this polite <laughs> argument right and this the, is worth listening to <laughs> oh yeah it was very much so and the conclusion both of us came to was et wants us to wake up and realize they are connected to everything in the universe, everywhere, every when. All the people who have been abduct, abducted, touched, experiencers, whatever. He said he's had people who were atheists and agnostic. They come back from one of those events, spiritual. He's had people hellfire and brimstone, Bible thumpers. They come back spiritual. ET has been we and this is the thing we were both in consensus on. ET is turning us all into those the people he they've touched have been turning us into mystics for probably decades. And one of these days we're going to hit critical mass on this with people and uh enough people are going to wake up the experiencers and, and Steve Bassett will tell you this the experiencers could blow the lid off this thing if if enough of them came out of the closet. Do you think that this is something that as a species uh so we knew a long time ago and we've lost or is that something that yeah, we, we yeah yeah i mean i i think that you know if we look at the past we pay attention to stories and 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 tales and stuff that's got to be the way it was well look at it this way if you watched ancient aliens there are a number of times giorgio got up there and talked about you know uh the egyptian uh pharaoh seti uh built a temple 
and 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 uh, it lights up for the three days of winter solstice. And and what do you see on that when it gets lit up? Uh, a statue of Seti sitting there at the end of this long chamber, and on either side of him, all their favorite gods from that era. Okay, mm-hmm. and um, if you go to Newgrange in Ireland, there's that big dome-shaped uh, thing up there, and it lights up. And and, and of course, the arch- mainstream archaeologists say is a burial tomb. But you know something? That particular period of time coincides with something the remote viewers discovered, something called the 1330 effect. The 1330 is 1330 hours astronomical time, what they call sidereal time. And it's a moving target. It's four minutes earlier every day. So a star system that's overhead right now, tomorrow will be overhead four minutes earlier. A week from now, it will be overhead 30 minutes earlier than it was today. Okay. So it's a moving target. Well, I did some study. Um, I'm an amateur uh, uh, radio astronomer and I got all my planetsphere data out and my calculator, uh, my computer calculator uh, capabilities. And I started researching 1330. And guess what? A lot of megalithic sites, 1330 is where that window of time when you can reach out and touch the universe. During that window of time, that's when winter solstice was. So I looked at the other major pagan holidays, like the like uh, when uh, summer solstice, son of a gun, it's at it's at it's at sundown, and a major number of those sites also have sundown references. And heck, uh, Shaco Canyon uh, out in our own Midwest resonates at that particular time as well. So I did a lot of research, wrote a paper for Wicca Magazine. I'm a staff writer for Wicca Magazine. A lot of people just don't understand that there's this two-hour window a day when things that are all things psychic and the ability to reach out there and touch touch the great consciousness of the universe increases by 250 to 450%. And this has been documented by a classically trained physicist who was working for the same people who developed remote viewing back in 1997, James Spotwood. Do you think this is something that the the government was aware of or is aware of? Because we know that they, they did all those experiments with remote viewing. Or is this something that, that they missed no, out No, they're on? probably aware of it. But, you know, the government moves on and, and they're bureaucrats and they're, they're idiots. You know, <laughs> uh, you know. so, you know, the, the, probably some deep, dark black program has made note of all this. But the fact that it got published as a, a regular paper back in 1997, just about, what, two years after the government said, oh, we're not going to do this remote viewing stuff anymore. Yeah, it's silly. Yeah. No, 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 no. It just went black like the UFO research. Black. Okay. Um, I've had taught remote viewing classes over the last, about five of these classes over the last 20 years. And this isn't like a one day class. This is like a a six month, every, every other Sunday for six months kind of class. Okay. And my remote viewers all ended up going to some of the same targets. Okay. And one of the things they found out, uh, if we tried to reach out to certain bases in Texas, they were warded. I mean, they, they literally had to said, don't come here kind of thing. Okay. Wow. And um, we tried to uh, remote view the White House. We found it was warded. You know, don't come here. You're not welcome. You know, that kind of thing. And uh, so somebody somewhere deep in the government is highly aware of the mystical and the magical and the metaphysical. Wow, that's a hell of a statement. I guess a good thing and a scary thing all at once to think about. Um, you want those people on your side, but then again, uh, what are they doing with it? 
Well, think about this a minute. I'm going to tell you a, little, a very, very short little story here. Uh, it was um, Candlemas, which is 1st of February going into 2nd of February, basically Groundhog Day. But that's that's a uh, that's a high holy day with the uh, with the pagans. And uh, we, I was with a bunch of shamans. We were doing this doing this practice with the drumming and all this kind of stuff. And I had a vision. And I had a, a goddess character with a huge shield in front of her. Okay. Mm-hmm. And a sword in her hand. And that is like nothing I'd ever, ever, ever seen. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the next day, Columbia was gone. Okay. Columbia, Space Shuttle Columbia. Yeah. Let me give you a metaphysical explanation on this. This is this is coming from your a Buddhist yogi uh, uh, experienced witch. When 9-11 happened, we had a flaming sword sent to us from the east, uh, sent westward to the east. Okay, and that's what they did. They they targeted our financial center with the intent of, as uh, Ben Laden said, cutting off the head of the snake and the rest will wither kind of mentality. Okay, mm-hmm. just before we invaded Iran, the Bush era invasion. Okay, we lose Colombia. Mm-hmm. Oh, gee, here is a flaming sword with a mixture of astronauts that are a cross section of the United States population, including a son of Israel on board coming from the west going eastward in a flame as a flaming a flaming thing this was what we call classic fire magic <laughs> i hope that just scared the hell out of a lot of people because i did a study of of major events that have happened over the years uh, particularly with government people who are sworn to the constitution effectively by being sworn to the constitution you're effectively sworn to the king so to speak yeah. not an, a king but the the king of the land yeah. and i've uh, drawn parallel this is a subject for another show somebody has been helping us because uh, one of these funny things that happened was um, right after Challenger blew up, mm-hmm. had a similar mix of people, and guess what? It was an in my book, it was an offering because it it also happened on Candlemas or the second first second of February. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Oh, gee whiz! Apollo One happened on. First wow. or second of February. Okay. And it, yeah, you go back and look at some of the things. And I did a thing and I had a, a few people sat down and looked at my list of all. It can be someone sworn to the Constitution or someone who has got such notoriety. We'll say like Marilyn Monroe. Mm-hmm. Uh, my joke with one of my friends is what does Marilyn Monroe, Michael Jackson, George Custer, and the Big Bopper have in common? They all died on a pagan holiday. And they were all the popular people. Wow. And anybody who the country would uniformly, this is the same idea. Where's the mentality? It's called the right of the king. This is the same kind of stuff where somebody go out in a South Sea Island, lives with the king's family. Some peasant lives with the king's family for a year, enjoys all the luxury of that. And that person is the one who is offered as a proxy into the volcano. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. And that's, that's how the right of the king works. And, um, uh, it was pretty scary material after I wrote, oh, I wrote a yeah. complete narrative about it, including a, a couple of spread, 
Yeah, yeah. And anybody I've showed it to, I've literally had people almost pee their pants. Honest to God, they saw it and said, oh, my God, what about this? And, I mean, we can track it back to not Kennedy, not John Kennedy, but his brother who died in World War II. Absolutely. Prominent family. Absolutely is. Still is. Cheryl, man, I am... I think I'm dizzy. <laughs> it's a lot, you know, that's such a, a, you, you, you're tapped into so many things and you're doing such a service that, uh, wasn't there. Number one, you know, we, we, we use your research. We love it. We thank you. Can I share one tidbit? Sure. My newspaper to Syracuse New Times went out of business on the 26th of uh, June this year. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I was writing for them for seven years. Okay. And it's, the demise happening to newspapers, okay? Yep. I've got two newspapers, two very serious mainstream newspapers that are talking to me right now. I've had a lot of people chase me out of their office again, you know, mm-hmm. but I've got two that are actually talking to me in earnest, and one of them is really starting to warm up, and uh, I've, I've made a serious proposal to them. We'll see if I get picked up and you start seeing me posting newspaper articles again. I'll probably be with another major newspaper. Wonderful. If before then, other than your books, which, you know, in your, your, your research, we're going to have links to that. Where can everyone find you if they want to send you an email or if they want to talk to you or, or look into your research? They can write me at blogger, B-L-O-G-G-E-R, at Cheryl, C-H-E-R-Y-L-C-O-S-T-A dot com. Blogger at CherylCosta.com. And uh, tell, tell me you listen to the show and tell me whatever it is you want to tell me. Wonderful. Well, Cheryl, thank you so much for spending your time with us today. And I hope everyone, number one, checks out your books. Number two, checks out your new one because I'm excited to, to read uh, all of your stories from the newspaper and uh, keeps an eye out for you because I'm sure I'll see you. We go to, we go to a lot of the, the conventions and everything. So I'm going to bump into you soon. And thank you so much for spending your afternoon with us. My pleasure. Nation, I told you she knows her shit. She is awesome. And what an honor to have Cheryl on the show. And hopefully you guys are going to go out, look into her past, look into some of the articles she's written, some of the stories she's written for the newspaper, and check out her book because it really is the definitive place to find everything that's happened in the last, well, from 2000 to 2015 and have it right at your fingertips. It is a fantastic, fantastic and staggeringly impressive piece of work that that they have done and put together that is at our disposal now so i'm super excited and i have a copy hopefully you guys get a copy and if you're interested in it it is well well worth the money that said nation keep your heads on straight out there this week or these coming weeks uh make sure that if you do have symptoms go talk to somebody and don't let the fever pitch of the craziness out there and social media scare you and make sure you're looking out for one another keep your distance from people social distancing get a game play some games watch some movies it's a perfect time to you know what if you've been looking to do some writing do some writing if you've been looking to clean out your garage clean out your garage do whatever this is the perfect time to do some you time and distance yourself from people so we can get this virus under control And it is important to do that because even though most of us aren't probably have anything to fear, there are loved ones, older people, people that have uh, immune systems that aren't as strong or up to snuff for various reasons that really need to not be exposed to this. But remember, keep your wits about you. 
Be smart. Don't panic. Nothing to worry about. You'll be fine. <sighs> share that toilet paper around. If you're hoarding it, share that toilet paper around. With that said, I've been Brent, and this has been Hysteria 51. It was terrible. It was just terrible. I'll never get over it as long as I live. That's it for another edition of Hysteria 51. John and Brent will be back next week with yet more of the unexplained, the unexplored, and the unheard of. Oh, if it's unheard of, how will they know about it? Anyway, if you want to suggest a topic, give us your thoughts, or just make fun of Conspiracy Bot, that's my favourite, join us in our Facebook discussion group, Hysteria Nation. Just log on to Facebook and search Hysteria Nation, or you can always tweet us at Hysteria51Pod. You've been listening to a fourth-hand joint.